you tuned into the smoking section podcast i am your host your man jt live we're back again for our thursday edition of the show man today we got a special guest in the building my man charles tank harris we go way back Temple University, that's right, that's how we get it in. Man, we're going to talk about a lot of different things on today's show. We're going to talk about contracts. We're going to talk about Dak Prescott. We're going to talk about the the Jameis Winston. We're going to talk about the NFL. We're going to talk about quarterbacks, man. Is there a disparity with African-American quarterbacks in the pay? I know Russell Wilson got his paper, but, you know, we're going to talk about this. Um, Also, we're going to talk about the young man that was killed down in Brunswick, uh, Georgia, man. We got to get with that. I mean, it's, it's... it's just ridiculous, man. We got people taking things into their own hands and doing all kind of crazy things. But, man, on today's show, I'm so happy to bring my boy, my brother, Tank, in the building. Um, if you want to follow our show, you can go to The Smoking Section Podcast on Facebook. You can also like our Facebook page, share it with your friends, get all our content, our videos, all our different commentary. You can get it on there. Also... Check me out. You can follow me on Instagram at jsilas20, man. You can get everything in. But I got my man Tank in the building. We're going to bring him in in just one second. We are excited to have him on the show today. So he's going to be dropping some nuggets, man. I, I knew this brother when he was young. We were younger. All of us were younger. And um, Temple Football Brothers, um, if, if you all have to know, um, man, Tank is, is, has been has done a lot of industry work in the entertainment, in the financial and professional um, um we're talking about money. I, I like I like to look at him as, as the money man. So we're going to bring Tank in the building. And, and he's going to talk to us, man, for, you know, we, we get it answered. I know he's busy, so I'm honored to have him in the, in the, in the, uh, on the podcast today. And so you all take and just listen in, man. Just get that. Just get the nuggets that's being dropped. So without further ado, Tank, what's good? Yo, brother Jeff, man, I sincerely appreciate you having me on, man. It's always, a, always an honor and a privilege. Hey, man, you you've been a guest. You've been a guest on the show, and if you all don't know, uh, uh, Tank did an interview with us on when Jay Z first got into the the sports agency, uh, becoming a sports agent in in the devil in the NBA, NFL, and those sort of things. And Tank wrote a crazy blog that went viral about it, and and I think that piece should still be relevant today. And I, I'm I'm interested even to know how that's changed. If any changes have happened, has Jay Z really had an effect on that? So we'll talk about that, but. Our relationship go back, man. I just remember we was young boys just doing parties, running around Temple University. You were playing football. I was a few years older than you, so, you know, but, hey, you my football brother, and and I'm always going to love you for that, Um, and and that's how we bring it. But tell the people who you are and tell the people a little bit about yourself. I appreciate that, man. So, you know, after Temple University, I played undergraduate collegiate football at Temple, actually, um, as before that, I was a Division Two football player who transferred up to Temple because I'm a Philadelphia native. And the, the relationship, you know, which is very indicative of how we're on the phone today, the relationships that I was able to form and, and nurture from my Temple days, you know, served me well through this day. What ended up happening, which shaped my career probably more than anything else, was my best friend who was on the football team with me at Temple, or I should say I was on the football team with him because he was the man, um, my boy Trey Johnson who ended up being an undergraduate collegiate All-American and going on to play professionally for almost a decade with the Redskins primarily. But when I was in graduate school, Trey approached me about becoming his financial advisor. And, you know, I laughingly told him it wasn't something that I was trained to do. I, you know, I went to school for actuarial science, which is the mathematics of insurance. And 
you know, I, although I studied finance as well, I didn't feel as I was, you know, qualified to be a financial advisor. But he told me, you know what, I got a, I got the business card of the manager of the South Jersey branch of Smith Barney, and I want you to go over there and do what you got to do to get that job, and I'll be your first client. And, you know, they say um, ignorance is bliss. Well, that truly described my situation because I went into that building not knowing what the profession even was about, what you did as a career there. And before I knew it, I had the position and was able to, at that point in time, become someone that not only served my guy, but also moving forward was able to help many, many other professional athletes, ones that had started at Temple and beyond. So I was a financial advisor who then became a business manager. And as a business manager, I oversaw and protected all of my clients as far as they worked with professionally. And I did that for 12 years. And then after that, I went back to being an investment advisor. And today, I am the head of sports entertainment for a large insurance brokerage in Manhattan. So that, that's, my, that's my bio. Haha, <laughs> I mean that's a cold bio. I mean, and 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 it all goes to how uh, relationships are are forged. Um, you know, from from you, like you talked about Trey, who Trey was an excellent football player in the NFL, an excellent human being. From my remembrance of Trey, um, being at Temple University, so in order for him to trust you, you know, that's to come to you and approach you. That's huge. How do we how do we cultivate those type of relationships? Because I think even today, man, we have issues with trust with one another, and and especially we talking about money. Um, you know how do how did how did you all cultivate that? You know, and that's a great conversation um, in and of itself. Because in my business, I tell clients all the time. I say when you're hiring a professional, you want to make sure they have the two C's, and by those two C's. The first one is competency. Is this person actually skilled and qualified to do the job you're hiring them to do? Are they competent? And then you have a lot of people who are competent. So I'll give you an example. When I was a business manager, I would oftentimes be talking to kids coming fresh out of college, sometimes back in the NBA, straight to pro uh, days, kids coming straight out of high school. And when it come, came to overseeing their financial affairs, it was a good amount, a high percentage of kids wanted their mom or their AAU coach, or someone who they had grew up trusting their entire life to be their financial professional. And what I would tell them is, I said, you know what, I'm not going to argue with you over this person because they have one of the Cs. They have the second C, which is concern. No one is going to be more concerned about you. Oh, they don't do Sometimes we have some outliers to this statement. For the most part, no one's going to be more concerned about you than your mom. So I'll never compete with her in that C, in the concern C. But in the competency C, has your mom ever oversaw a bank account that had $4 million in it? And did your mom know how to do, you know, differentiate between investment advisors and, and know the difference between a merger and an acquisition? And 99% of the time, the answer is no. Mom can't do that as good as me. So she beat me in one seat, but not the other. And I told my clients, hire people who satisfy their requirement in the two C's. They are competent enough to do the job and care enough about you to do the job well for you. And for Trey... He knew both of those answers were, you know, unmistakably yes. Even though I didn't know at the time how to be a quote-unquote stockbroker or investment advisor, his statement to me when he asked me to do it was, you're the smartest guy I know and the only person I trust. So in his mind, I had the two C's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's important, man, and I see that a lot. Um, and I'm always, but I, I'm always confused about, 
Because I, I remember when Lamar Jackson was coming out of, of Louisville, and I think he had his mom as his agent, or or she was representing him, and I didn't I didn't know all the details behind it, and people were saying that the reason he dropped so low in the draft was what one of the reasons was because he had his mother representing him, and I was like, uh, I, I don't know if that's the reason he dropped so low in the draft, but then I said, who would handle his money? You know, is his mom right. that person? And so I think what you just said is 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 it's actually, you know, very, uh, it's, it's eye awakening because people think that they can do it. And, and I actually know a couple of people who are, who are in the NBA and, 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 and NFL who have their parents or somebody in their family that's running, you know, the day to day. I wonder how much they know about the financial side of it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's where you can get yourself in trouble because once again, it's one thing to know this person loves you and that they'll never do you dirty a whole nother thing to know that they understand what needs to happen for all the things that make the situation tick tock and rock that they're doing correctly and, and and that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes going and telling mom hey mom i love you but you can't do this for me because you just don't know how to do it and let's let a professional do it and one of the things i've heard from a dad who actually played in the nba and then had his kid grow up to be an nba player he said it best he said i could be my son's agent i could be my son's business manager he said, but what I'd rather do is be my son's dad. Right. I want to come to the games and enjoy what he's doing with his life, what he's going through. And I'll let someone who paid, gets paid to do that job do that job. Yeah, and that's and I and, and I know people have that issue. It's trust. And so I mean you brought up a, a great issue. And I, I'm wondering how does how does a professional, a young professional athlete decide that they want to go with a particular agent or financial advisor or an attorney how would they approach that i mean what because I'm, I'm thinking like if i'm thinking back to myself if i was going through that process now you know how would i determine do i want to go with somebody that's african-american do i want to go with somebody who's you, you know different cult? how do i decide if i want to trust this particular person right and i think that you know once again i'll use trey as an example when um when Trey was coming out, his statement to me was, I want to go with a black agent, but I will not go with a black agent to the detriment of my career. I will go with a black agent, but he'll, he'll have to be good. He'll have to be as good as a white agent would be, but I'm going to give him the first shot. If all of the are neck and neck, and it's a black agent and a white agent, I'm picking the black agent. But I'm not going to put up, to, to put a, quantific, a quantifiable number on it, I'm not going to pick a black agent who's at 92% when there's a white agent in the room who's at 97. Unfortunately, you know, for our culture, I'll have to go with the 97. And he actually happens to get the best of both worlds because he hired an agency that was a partnership of a black guy and a white guy. So he had to win-win. Yeah, and I've often thought about that, and that's that's a key point. So I, I, I want to transition in, 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 into more about you and, and the depths of your journey. I mean, because I know... You know, being a being African American, you know, that's in the financial um, advisor sort of, uh, uh, you know, realm. That could be tough at times, and I, I know I have people in my family who are financial advisors, and it, it, the struggle was real. So, tell me yeah. about your journey, man, through that that whole that whole piece. Well, you know, I appreciate you um, bringing that topic up because that has always been a very difficult, very difficult road to bridge throughout. And it, it breeds it breeds a lot of content and other things in um, it breeds a lot of content a lot of it breeds a lot of content it breeds a lot of this dissatisfaction amongst the culture when you have all of these 
people who are generating the money that are African-American, then you have all of the professionals that work for them aren't. And as a result of that, there is a lot of, you know, self-reflection that goes on amongst the actual athletes themselves and the professionals because they'll want to have a drink with me. They'll want to hang out with me. I've had times where people have had white professionals that they pay to do a job, but they call me as the African-American professional to out the idea off of because they actually trust me more. They actually have a higher respect and a higher level of comfort with me. But at the end of the day, they just feel like, you know, to use a phrase that goes back many, many years, that the white man's ice is colder. <laughs> and that ultimately, that they'll be better represented, they'll be better reflected if the person who's handling their stuff is actually is actually a white person. And there's nothing, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything more hurtful than, than that. So when you're, when you are in an area where, and I like to believe in abundance. So I, I'm a type of person who believes that there's more than enough opportunity for everybody to prosper and to get, I don't have to act like there's a mindset of scarcity that there's only so much for us to go around. I believe I can compete with anybody. And I believe that in competing with anybody, don't care what race they are, I don't care what their skill level is, I'm the best choice. That's how I present myself, and that is what I believe intrinsically inside of myself. So I never let it bother me that sometimes a black athlete would choose a white agent or a white business manager or a white financial advisor over me, because a lot of those clients, in, at the end of the day, they came back to me. Mm. And that just increased my confidence, because now I know you picked somebody else for a reason outside of skills, for a reason outside of proficiency, for a reason outside of what was the criteria that you should have been selecting people for. And ultimately you came back to me because you saw that the creek rock was at the top, so to speak, and that I was the best man for the job the whole while. But it, it gets deep. I just saw an Instagram post, and I don't know how much truth or validity there is to it, but I just saw an Instagram post that for the first time in NFL history, this year's draft, the first round pick that more black agents than white agents. Yeah, yeah, I heard that as well. I, I, I didn't, I didn't really delve deep into it and do the research, but I did hear that, and I, I thought that was incredible just to hear that. And I, I'm wondering what that's all about. Hey, but you know what? It's this gonna be interesting because I, I, I want to kind of finish up on that topic. But hey, this is your man JT Live right here on the Smoking Section Podcast. I got my man Charles Tank Harris in the building. Man, hey, y'all getting some jewels dropped on y'all today, man. So y'all make sure y'all take notes, uh, uh, download this podcast, subscribe to our podcast right here, the Smoking Section Podcast. You can follow us on, on Blog Talk Radio. You can also uh, subscribe to our podcast on Lipson.com, and we can be found on all different platforms, Apple, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, so make sure you download our podcast. Uh, we are growing. Make sure you check out our Zoom podcast on Mondays, man, we've been doing the Zoom. And, and Tank, while I got you here, I want to do, I do want to discuss Scottie Pippen and his contract. So I don't know how much you've been watching The Last Dance, but I, I do want to talk about that because that's been a hot button topic on, on a lot of our different platforms. So I want to, I want to get your take on that. But um, we appreciate everybody that's tuned in to the show, and um, make sure you subscribe and follow to our podcast. What you said, Tank, and and which I thought was very interesting, and. In, in choosing the, the Caucasian uh, agent 
and and people just seeing that off and thinking that that's the best. But I, I think that's all part of that institutionalized uh, racism. You know, when we're talking about who has more resources, who we perceive has more resources and who we perceive has our best interests at heart. And so we will pick a Caucasian agent over an African-American agent, you know, and, and just kind of move move there. And then when all the, the tools are shaken out of the box, they come back to you. So I, I, I think right. that's a that's a very, very glaring um, look at racism in this, in what it's meant to do. It's meant to race to get the resources and the money and have more and lock everybody else out. Um, and I, I think that's a that's a tough run, man. And I, I applaud you for staying in there and sticking it in just like some of the other brothers that's out there in the business. I applaud you all for for staying in it because we need it. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll say for myself, my sons, you know, one of them, two of them, they, they're good athletes. No telling what will happen. If they're fortunate enough to have those opportunities, I always tell them, you make sure the playing ground is equal. And you look at everybody right. equally. Just don't say you don't look at him because he's Caucasian or, you know, you look at the brother and say, all right, brother, do you meet the qualifications of standard? Not what the white guy standard is, but what the standards are. And so, you know, as long as you can meet those and, and hey, you should always pick. I always say it like this, bro. When you're watching the family feud, who do you root for? And I, I always right. use that as a glaring. <laughs> you, you know, you're watching the family. feud. you got a black family, white family, you can't tell me that anybody black. I'm willing to say probably 99.9%. If it's a black and white family, a black person is going to root for the white family, and the white family is going to root for the white family. That's just how it is. You know, it's funny you say that. I told somebody a while ago, um, I think back to my first job out of college, which was working at a, a, one of the manufacturers. One of the, I don't want to shout the name out because I don't know if that's appropriate to do, but it was for one of the big three automakers. Uh, I worked in their credit department. And when I got hired, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I'll be a little self grandiose here and say, you know, I'm a pretty personable person. You know, people like me. When I have conversations with them, people attract are attracted to the conversation I'm having. And I remember interviewing in front of three white men, and I had them cracking up laughing. We were talking about all kinds of various things. And what I realized, because, you know, this is my first, quote-unquote, corporate professional experience, and you, you tend to think as a young African-American going out into the workplace that you're going to be faced with all of this racism. And I'll be totally honest with you, I have experienced a great deal of racism. It is out there. But what I did learn through that process and processes that would come in the future is that what we call racism, which we're, we're, we're properly labeling it, but a lot of times it's more about familiarity. Mm-hmm. If I'm a white guy who grew up in an all-white neighborhood and all my boys played lacrosse, what do I have in common with a black guy who grew up in an all-black neighborhood and all his friends played basketball? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick the white guy in the interview who may play lacrosse over the black guy. Now, is that category categorically racism? By definition, it is. But was it truly some card-carrying clan mentality that he used? No. He picked a guy who, after work, he would want to have a beer with because he's comfortable with that cat. Now, the problem is where it becomes racism and where it becomes such an uphill battle for African Americans is there are so many more people in the hiring position. So if they just go with their familiarity, we will most likely always be shut out mm-hmm. unless we can be like myself, a chameleon who can make himself amenable and acceptable to any race, creed, gender, or whatever. But not a lot of African Americans have had the experience, the, the travel, the education that you and I have had to be able to understand, oh, in this situation, I got this guy. 
can't be the big former football player, angry black man in this situation. I got to be this guy. Mm-hmm. And you, you get along. So yeah, when I see situations like that where racism is rearing its ugly head, I try to, once again, it goes back to my philosophy on abundance, try to put myself in the mindset of everything can work out. How do I make this work out? I can sit back and complain about the hand I'm dealt and how uphill my battle is, or I can find out how to make this work out. Mm-hmm. And I always go for the let's make it work out thing. Yeah, and I think most of us do because we have to learn how to survive. And so if you want to eat, you want to put food on your table, you have to do things in order to to make it. And there have been countless examples of of black men, black women who have and in you know, other uh, ethnic groups that have made it um, within the system and they've been able to get, you know, through. And and so that's that's very important. That's very valid because it is all about relationships and and, and familiarity. Um I want to talk about um, the contracts, man, in in the NFL. And I I just kind of looked and I was watching. I saw Jameis Winston get a one-year deal from the New Orleans Saints for $1 million. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw Dak Prescott. Of course, he got franchise tag, and I think it's like $34 million. But then I also seen the Dallas Cowboys come swoop in and sign a, a comparable backup uh, possibly starter in, in Andy Dalton, who got, I think, $3 million, and I think it's another $4 million in incentives. And so when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, man, that, that looks really shady because I'm thinking back to the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm thinking back when they signed Tony Romo. I mean, they I think they tore his previous contract up and signed him, and Tony had never been to the playoffs, had well, been to the playoffs one time. I think he had been injured countless other times. But Dak Prescott has been there. He's been to the playoffs. It was MVP, offense, been whatever he was. And I'm saying, man, you know, I know Russell got his paper, you know, but I, I try to think of any other quarterbacks that were African American who got paid. Now, right. I, I couldn't think of any besides Russell Wilson that got that kind of money. I know he's the highest paid quarterback. Talk to me about this, man, because I didn't want to look at it as a racial issue, but I, I had to when I, I looked at the Cowboys. Now, I feel. I feel somewhat for Dak, and I ain't going to lie, I was a little, I know he told the company line with Kaepernick, and he, when that whole issue was out, and he was like, I'm a team guy with Cowboys, and he, he's been keeping a low profile, but now, you know, I think he's kind of seeing what is, what's going on here. Talk to me about that, bro. So, it's funny you bring that up. First of all, let's talk about Russell Wilson, because, you know, I, I, I don't count Russell as 100% African-American because he got that perm. <laughs> 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 you know, I think he's doing Omar's little cousin or something. Um, they just read up Amari Cooper. 
I gave a bunch of brothers money. I think that Jerry Jones is an ass. Like, that's just his nature in general. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes he negotiates against himself. Like, he doesn't want to be the person to set the market. He doesn't want to... In those other instances, the money that those people got didn't set the bar. Even Zeke's deal, which was good, wasn't as good as Tory Gurley's deal on a, on a uh, per year basis. On the overall money it was because they had another year to it. But Tory uh, Gurley's deal was better. And so I think Jerry Jones always goes with that mentality of, I'm not going to pay a person the most. When Romo was getting paid, there was, um, I think, Stafford's deal now yeah. as higher, higher. Yeah. And um, somebody else's, you know, the, the, be- the best quarterback over the last decade and a half has been underpaid, which is Tom Brady. Right. Um, so it's one of those things where that didn't catch my eye from a standpoint of money. Now, going to the Jameis Winston situation, I think he dramatically got underpaid. You know, especially when you then turn around and see what Andy Dalton got paid. You know, not right. a bunch of money, but three times as much as Jameis and possibly seven times as much. I don't know if you are you aware of what the incentives are in Jameis's deal, or is there anything other than the one million? I don't know what the incentives are, and and I wanted to look into it because I looked at the base at one million for a backup quarterback. And I was right. looking like, man, it's usually around two to three million dollars for a backup. Oh, he's gross, grossly underpaid. Yeah. Grossly. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I look at that, like, okay, is that a reach? Is that something I can see for instance? Now I'd be much, much more open to a conversation on that one of saying, hey, maybe Black did play part of this because you know, and where I would get that, where I would get that uh, instinct to, to go that line would be not just necessarily because he's black, but. This boy's been in a lot of trouble. And I think with the trouble he's been in, it makes people have that, especially white people, have that association with black people getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Can't trust these black people. And so it's secondary racism. It's not, yo, I'm not going to give him this money because he's black. It's I'm not going to give him this money because I don't know if this cat's going to, you know, slap another chick in an Uber uh, in four <laughs> weeks before training camp. <laughs> right. You know, that's clearly how he behaves because you can't get these black people nothing. Like, you know, I think the end of the conversation ends with that kind of racist fade out, but I don't think it was the primary motivation. I think the fact that he throws more interceptions than touchdowns and the fact that he's a behavior problem off the field and has been. Like, you know, this kid's misbehavior is tracked back to high school. And, you know, he's a very entitled kid, very talented, but very entitled kid, and it's never truly cost him that he behaves the way he behaves, I think this is the first time that somebody hopefully is in his camp and can say, you didn't get $4 million or you didn't get $7 million because of your behavior. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that scares them straight because you and me would be happy with $1 million. But these cats, $1 million don't mean nothing to them, and they'd rather have 7 I mean, everybody would rather have 7 but for them, like, he'll be so grateful for $1 million. He's not grateful for $1 million. He knows that million after taxes, fees, expenses. He's probably going to walk out of there with, you know, three hundred ninety to $440,000. And, you know, there I think his, his property taxes may be, may be uh, germane to that number in some way, shape, or form. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so that's why when he took that, when, when he got that contract, I was like, a million dollars? I was like, man, use your backup quarterback, and he's a he's a decent he's a decent quarterback. I know he said he had LASIK surgery, so we see if that had really any effect on his vision. Uh, he played for Bruce Arians, and 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 we know BA is a is a down the field type of coach. Risk it or biscuit, this is how we get it done. And so he had to throw the ball a lot, and I I think Jameis, you know, was just throwing that football. I believe he was just throwing it. Hey, I get it in, I get it in. I don't, I don't. 
but for him to go 30 for 30 i think it was 30 touchdowns 30 interceptions that's you know right. that was that's a <laughs> that's a as an ESPN special in itself, thirty for thirty, with that. Thirty for thirty, exactly. <laughs> the way he rolled and, with that. Um, it, it, it just it just lends itself to show people, man. You know, the leash will eventually get yanked. I think that kid is got a very very long leash. Eventually, somebody's like one million. Like here, here's, we're, we're done with your BS. You want to prove it to us. But I think also, I, I you know, hopefully he gets an opportunity. Not that I'm hoping injury on Drew Brees, but maybe you know some blowouts or some resting of Drew Brees at some point happens and he gets to showcase his ability because that's what this is for him. This is more a year of audition and then possibly a year of succession if Drew Brees decides to call it quits at the end of this year. Yeah, and he may get that opportunity. I mean, Drew Brees has been he, – well, he got injured last year with the hand. And so, yep. you know, the older you get uh, – I mean, everybody's not Tom Brady, I should say. Tom Brady seems to just stay healthy almost every year. But you can see some of the older quarterbacks, even Aaron Rodgers, the Drew Breeses, and uh, you know a lot of those guys having those injuries, and so it's keeping them out. So it'll be interesting to see. I I'm I'm curious, and I, I said this to somebody before. I said Dak's getting thirty four million dollars franchise tag. If you got three years of franchise tags, that's over ninety million dollars. And so right. I, what I wanted to ask you, and and I thought this was a very important point. Um, guys getting that. Signing bonus money. Well, not signing, but that guaranteed money. So, mm-hmm. how was that important as opposed to getting these annual uh, franchise tags? What's what's the importance of that? Because I know Russell got something like eighty million up front, seventy million up front. What's what's right. what's what's important about that? So the security of it. You know, once again, if, if Zach just you know ends up blowing out a knee. And or or something happens, multiple concussions, and he's deemed not to be able to play because of the CTE risk. His future is is up for jeopardy and, and very well over. So if you get two years or two and a half years of guaranteed money, and that happens to you, there you go with the, with the ability to fall back on something. Now I know there's um, and it's my field of work with disability insurance and things of that nature. He should have on him a very very strong disability policy with a loss of value rider. Because clearly his market is is not acceptable. You know what his market is. He's a he's a franchise franchisable quarterback who's making thirty four million. So you know moving forward that after this one year deal, he should get a deal next year, if if nothing else, another franchise deal at a higher number for a multi year deal. So he should have that type of policy on him where if he does get hurt and this year is the last year he paid pays, he's able to get money paid to him from an insurance company. Because had he been healthy, there's no question what he would have earned. But mm-hmm. the, the security of a multi-year deal and the guarantees that, that come with it are what every player is looking for. They're now looking for more and more of their salary to be in the form of guaranteed money. Um, bonuses, roster bonuses, signing bonuses, appearance bonuses, um, all of these different bonuses that can be prorated over the life of the contract for the team. They don't be, they're not a one-year salary cap hit. But at the same time, they provide that stability for the players. Yeah, and I think that's important, man. And I heard I heard some other guys talk about, and I can't remember who the athlete was that was talking about this situation. He was talking about the difference between NBA, the big NBA contracts, and the big uh, the NFL contracts. And they were saying that one of the reasons that you know within the NFL they get that that money, you know, you get that 
that 15, 20, 30 million dollars up front or whatever the contract is, as opposed to the NBA, some guys were getting, you know, their salary as it goes and they couldn't buy their houses and things, you know, for for security purposes, things that they wanted to get. And I was listening to ESPN. They were talking about LeBron James. Of course, LeBron James is 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 financially secure. He's straight. He has everything together. But LeBron James got eighteen million dollars of his contract up front this season. Right. And so I'm like, man, LeBron's pulling you know close to twenty mil out of his contract, and they were saying would he have to give some back because they didn't play, you know, the entire season. I don't know if I'd ask for that money back from LeBron, you know, but it, it is what it is. Um, I thought that that was important that not every guy can get that money up front. Um, like that, and I and to ask you, is that really even good for some of those guys to get that money? Because I mean, for a young that's cat, definitely not. Okay, that's what I want to ask you. Because I talk to me about that, man. Because I've heard so many stories about it, and I think uh, C.J. McCullen came out uh, about a month ago, a month or so ago, and said NBA players were living were paycheck to paycheck. So I was like, wow, come exactly. on. You know, there's a line in one of Jay Z's songs where he says. Um, Y'all don't know my expenses. I got to get a bigger plate. And the reality is, is that what I have found as a financial advisor who has worked with all walks of life, I've worked with the wealthy, I've worked with the barely making it, I even do what is the, the financial equivalent of pro bono work and, and speak to people who are barely above the poverty level and how they can start to get out of that position that they're in. And what I have learned is that there are financially savvy, financially conscious people each of those levels, and there are financially illiterate and financially wasteful people on each of those levels. So it is very, very easy to see someone making $14 million a year. It's hard to fathom when you make 100 or 30 that someone who's making 14 can also be living check to check, but I have seen it with my own two eyes. Wow. And it's nothing for somebody to have an NBA contract or an NFL contract and be jammed up. I saw it when I was in the industry. I want to say it was 2002, but I could be wrong. 18 years ago, long time from my memory, where um, there was a lock, NBA lockout. Yeah. And, you know, I had four of my clients that we were calling around the banks to get them loans because they weren't getting paid. And these are guys who had, you know, made $3 million the previous year or whatever. You know, the best laid plans, the best laid advice doesn't always get listened to. And these guys are, you know, I think there's an element of it. You know, like they say, young people have the invincibility complex. Right. Like I'll drive fast because I'm never going to crash or whatever. I think when you start making $6 million a year, you get this feeling. Even though people will tell you, I know I told everybody, hey, these careers are short. You know, you won't be making this money forever. You just always think you will, though. Like, there's going to be one more contract. I think everybody thinks there's going to be one more deal and that they'll get their money. Right. And so it's fine. And that kind of transition, not to, not to uh, lead the conversation, but you touched on the Scottie Pippen contract situation back in his day he kind of thought the opposite he kind of thought what if there's no more deal what if you know i get hurt what if these things go wrong i'm a a a young cat who grew up dirt poor in arkansas six million sounds good to me right and you know there's a lot of things about that and i've actually only saw the first two episodes of the last dance uh, because i've been binge watching power and it's all i've been watching oh man so Oh my God, it's been great, but I'm done now. Uh, it's a miraculous uh, whole series, but we won't we won't divest into that. But with the um, the Scotty Pippen episode, focus on Scotty. What people don't understand when they're looking at that, because everybody can be critical, as the saying goes, hindsight is twenty twenty. You didn't have the big NBA money that came 
three years into his deal. Like, he just had bad luck that he signed that deal. Right. Because wasn't as financially dumb or financially ignorant as people are making it out to be because he was taking a deal that did underpay him. He was taking a deal that was longer in length than it should have been. But it wasn't until that new CBA came out and that new TV contract, which factored into the basketball revenue in the CBA, that contract went up 72% after that. Right. So how do you know that? If your agent or your financial guy is looking back over CBA to CBA and seeing what the new increases were, 6% increases, 7% increases, 9% increases, you go ahead and lock in that six years. Who knew there was going to be such exponential growth in the cap of money available for contracts because under Stern's leadership, the NBA just took off. Yeah. And, I, you know, what what you're saying there is important, and I, I'm going to talk about that in just one second. But, hey, you tuned into the Smoking Section Podcast. I got my man, Charles Tank Harris, in the building. Man, he's dropping a lot of nuggets, uh, and I hope people are listening, and I, I hope some adults who have uh, young athletes or, or entertainers that are getting into the business, I hope you get a chance to listen to this and, and, and even reach out to Tank um, at some point in time. But, um, you know, this is, this is valuable information. And we love on the Smoking Section podcast. We love bringing you interesting people to our show, and so that's our motto. I mean, we love the entertainers and we love the the local celebrities and we love those kind of people. But we love people that aren't always talked about and discussed. That are movers and shakers, and and these and that, though these are the real people, and these are the people that are walking the earth every day that are making moves and making things happen that you don't necessarily see um, all the time. But again, you can follow our Facebook page, The Smoking Section Podcast. Make sure you get on there. Um, next Monday night, we'll be talking about episodes. I think it's episode six and seven or something like that for The Last Dance. So we'll be discussing that with our with Chicago Sports, uh, Chi-Town Sports uh, Nation. We'll be in the building, the guys and, and the ladies that get it in on there. So we'll be live on Zoom on The Smoking Section Podcast page. So make sure you follow us there. Tomorrow night... Um, I will be the uh, special guest on the the Better Man and Me Foundations, and I'll be talking about the the impact of uh, African American men in society today. So it's, it's kind of almost time, and that we're gonna jump into a a discussion about that um, in a second. Tank and I about the young man who was killed uh, down in uh, Brunswick, Georgia. But I'll be on there talking. So if you get a chance, um, I'll send out the link on our on all the social media platforms. So check that out. Check me out. I'll be the lead. Um, uh, discuss I guess I'm the, the, the panel or whatever it is uh, tomorrow evening so make sure you check that out Better Man and Me Foundation is having their thing and Tank you know I, I meant to shout you out man on this I saw you on the Breakfast Club man and I, I get all the updates on the Breakfast Club and I looked up and I'm like wait a minute Tank right there <laughs> <laughs> what's going on man and and I know you're doing a lot of different things um, in that field and I, I man I was highly impressed with that piece, Thanks, the, the things, things on the mental health and like, oh, that. come on, man, you got to talk. We we got to talk about that. But before we talk about that, um, I, I do want to say in regards to the the last uh, subject that we just talked about, Scotty Pippen. I know people were overcritical of Scotty, and one of the things that we were discussing in our in our Zoom podcast, our weekly Zoom podcast, is that people, you know, he had some other family things that he was dealing with. So mm-hmm. that that stability for him meant something. And so uh, that's important. And also, Scotty, I mean, once he left the Bulls, he made more money. I mean, he made basketball wise. I think he ended up making one hundred and nine million dollars over his NBA career. So, you know, when you when you look at the span of it, I mean, he ended up doing OK. I don't know how he's doing financially now, but 
um, he did make some money. So yeah, he wasn't out of the corner shaking a tin cup. No, 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 not even not even close. Scotty, Scotty did his thing. Um, uh, I I want to transition uh, into to uh, something a little bit more more serious um, in nature. And I know you spent some time in the ATL, and um, you know I don't know how far Brunswick, uh, Georgia, is from from the metropolitan area of uh, Atlanta, but um, I want to talk about the young man, Amud Aberry, who was uh, shot dead in Brunswick, uh, Georgia, after a, a 1 p.m. run on, on February 23rd. And so, you know, this young man, apparently, he had a reputation of running. He ran all the time through the neighborhood. Uh, apparently, he would run past people's uh, rings, uh, alarm systems, and they would hear, then they would say, hey, so I moved running, and so people knew that he ran this route every single day. He was a runner. Um, apparently, he was approached by by two um, Caucasian men in a uh, pickup truck. Apparently, they got on the radio somehow that there was a person who had broke into somebody's home. That's their excuse. Another young man, one of the men, got out with a shotgun. Him and Abu Amud wrestled, and he ended up shooting him. And the video is, I refuse to post the video because I just can't, you know, I, I can't take that. It was, it was brutal to me, but to see, and, and he would, they were captured on camera. And so these guys had no clue what they were doing. They didn't think that anybody was watching, but here's a, a clear cut example of a young man being gunned down by somebody who's not even law enforcement anymore. These guys are supposedly, one of the guys supposedly retired district attorney or whatever the case is. I don't know all the, the details on, on what their backgrounds are, but you know, I feel for this young man. I feel for his family. I have boys, and I'm I'm gonna tell you like this. And I always fear for my boys when they're out, especially if they have to walk anywhere or jog any place they work out. I try to keep them within the confines of where I can see them. Um, when they want to go to the store, they have to walk quite a ways. I'm like, man, you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, I want to listen. This is how you have to be. This is how you have to walk. You you got to prepare our kids for certain things. And that still doesn't guarantee their safety. So I, I just want to talk to you about that, man, and kind of pick your brain, because I know you're a very intellectual brother. Um, and, and what you thought about the situation from what you heard? You know, it, it is a very tragically sad experience that, that this occurred. And unfortunately, as you just pointed out, that I have a young African-American son of myself. He's my baby in my family. I have five daughters, and, and he's the baby boy. He's currently 12, and he's going to be a big boy, you know. So you then have that intimidation factor that comes with size when approached. And you have to tell your young African-American children, men and male and female, but, you know, once again, I think there's a, a stronger concern for, for, for our young boys to conduct themselves. And a lot of times it's a delicate balance of conversation to not want to destroy their self-esteem or their feelings of independence, but you also want them to be aware of the environment in which they are going to encounter when they are outside of the bubble that you create for them as a loving parent. And as it pertains to this situation, so I have a saying, when I lived in uh, Georgia, I lived in a close suburb to Atlanta. I lived in Roswell, Georgia, mm -hmm. and Roswell's right between Alpharetta and Sandy Springs. I could get to a, a Atlanta zip code in seven minutes. I mm -hmm. drive my car. So I was right when I was suburban Atlanta. And my saying, and it's not, I didn't make it up, but I've heard it from other people, there's Atlanta and then there's Georgia. Mm. And Georgia is still the South. 
Atlanta is very progressive. Atlanta is you could you could look at being in Atlanta and feel like you're in Philly, Chicago, DC, New York, LA. Atlanta's Atlanta's good to go. Georgia, not so much. And I don't know where that particular uh, section of Georgia is, but I liken it to this other area that I did have have uh, the unfortunate uh, need to go to quite a few times, which is Forsyth County and Cum Georgia. So my kids play lacrosse, basketball, other sports, and had to go to Forsyth for some of their games. And I'm telling you, these are people in the parking lot of the you know the, the venue. With the stars and bars flag, hmm. the you know gun wraps on their car, quickly knew that they were still trapped at the Civil War era in their mind, and that anything could pop off. You know, you just always have to keep your head on the swivel because it's a red state, because it's a, a, a free to carry state, and you just see people who you know are armed who don't care for you too much, and when you when you experience. That type of in-your-face racism, the type of in-your-face social social hierarchy, and just people thinking that they're better than you, and then they're they have the you know they're armed. You know you have to you have to lessen your sense of freedom. You know, and that that's a, a very very tough pill to swallow, especially if you're an alpha male like myself. Right. You know, my first priority is to get my children safely home, and don't have time to, to, to be big tank in that instance. I got to get my kids safe. Right. And, you know, we heard the N-word. My daughter's playing lacrosse, stole, you know, stole the pass from another young lady who, on the other team who was white, and she ran up the field, you know, calling her the N-word. Right past <laughs> the referees, right past her coaches, and nobody said nothing. And you just know this is where you are. Yeah. And you would think in 2020 that we've come further than that as a country, but we haven't. You know, and I'll say this, I'm not political in any way, shape, or form, but so many people, and so many of my people, and by my people, I just don't mean black, I mean people that I'm cool with, my Facebook friends, cats that I'm really cool with, the preponderance, which are African-American, but I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like the Benetton of friends, I got, you know, I got all types of friends, but my particular group doesn't care for the current administration, Right. and we'll leave, we'll leave it at that, and they blame the current administration and the head of it for all of the racism we're seeing in America. Mm-hmm. And I say, you can't do that. That's, 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 that's dumb. That's not right. right. That racism wasn't born because he's in office. That racism always existed. Yeah. And now maybe people feel a little more empowered to show who they are. Um, same, same veteran, Trey Johnson, said about money a long time ago, and also Jay-Z said on his uh, early collaboration with uh, Festival of Worlds with R. Kelly. Money does not change people. The old saying that money changes people. But what they both said was money allows people to act how they really are. Mm-hmm. Because when you have your money, you don't have to keep up pretenses for anybody. You feel secure and do what you want. And all this administration has done was let your card-carrying races act like who they really are. Right. They feel as though they can be them. And for me personally, I don't, you know, I, I know I part company with a lot of people on this topic, but I want my races where I can see them. Exactly. You know? I want you to tell me who you think I am, who, who, how you view me. I don't want to be going back to the job interview uh, element. I don't want to sit through an hour-long job interview with you smiling in my face, making me think I'm answering all of our questions, you nodding with all the things I'm saying. And in the back of your pocket, you got a, a, a Ku Klux Klan membership card, <laughs> and there's no way I'm getting this job. So, 
you know, I rather you, I rather walk into your office and you have a stars and bars shirt on and your hood on, on a chair next to you, so I know what I'm dealing. Yeah. With. And, and and Tank, you know that that's funny because a lot of people don't they have a hard time uh, dealing with that aspect of it. And I I too rather for somebody to be upfront and honest because at least I know who you are. I, I know right. that that you are a, a racist and 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 so I can deal with you accordingly as long as you don't cross boundaries. Once you cross right. boundaries, then we got problems. But as long as you stay in right. your lane, because you can feel how you want to feel. Everybody feels how they want to feel. Everybody has their own views and exactly. opinions about different sorts of things. But as long as, hey, I respect you, you respect me, respect our boundaries, we're fine. And and I've seen that. And it's funny, man, you bring up, you brought about your daughter. I mean, my sons, of course, they're in sports. And we've, we've been all over the place, wrestling, football. And we've encountered all sorts of racism. And, and I just hearken back to, to this past fall where we had to take our, our football team, went down to middle, kind of southern middle Indiana. And so, you know, Indiana is the birthplace of the Klan. And so we were playing football game. And before we went to the game, we went to one of the stores to, to get some raincoats. It's raining. And we see some kids with some rebel flags on, the boots, the whole nine yards. And my son, you know, this is his first time since my youngest. He looks, he's like, Pops, what's up with this? I say, hey, son, right. you got to know where you at. <laughs> this is how it is down here. And although there are black people who live in this town, these people live here, too. Now, I said, as long as they right. don't they don't cross paths with you and they don't push you or do nothing to you, we good. Straight. Right. I said, but, you know, once because you feel your certain kind of way, they feel their certain kind of way. And I mean, and it's it's just what it is. And so as long as we can stay on those sides, because people are going to be who they are. Racism, I think, is one of the worst diseases that we've that was ever created. Uh, you know, we, we talk about man-made diseases. That was the absolute worst uh, disease created and it was created for a purpose. Um, but to segue, you know, I. I I would caution young black men, be careful um, when you're out, um, you know, make sure you, you know, you, you try to t- diffuse situations as much as possible. And and Tank, I remember, man, when I first got to Philly, now being from Chicago, you know, I mean, I didn't really run into too much police, anything growing up in the neighborhood. But it wasn't until I got to Philly, it was around Temple's campus, man, I can remember and stop and harassed by the police all the time. And I was like, man, you know, and, and I, I remember one cat, I think I had just got to Philadelphia and a police officer pulled us over. We were at some party and he said, oh, yeah, we've been looking for you. I said, who? Say you. He said, you ain't been looking for me. He said, yeah, we're looking for you. You live in so-and-so, so-and-so. I said, nah, man, I'm from Chicago. I just got here right. to, about a week or so ago. Here's my driver's license. It ain't Philly nothing. You know, and we were pulled over for no reason. So, and, and we know many of us have gone through those sort of things. So, um, hopefully people are safe. But now, and, and that, that leads into to my next topic because the mental health issues behind that. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, brother, when it comes to that issue, I'm traumatized by that. I ain't scared of nothing. Mm-hmm. But I am traumatized because I have to always think on the defensive for myself and for my kids. It's like I never feel like I'm free you know, driving, you know, I got a nice car, wife, nice vehicle. We never, you never feel free enough to say, okay, I could do certain things or I might get stopped by the police. Right. And, and I know you got uh, the, the organization that you was working with dealing with mental health. How do we, how do we get beyond that? 
it's difficult. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I just said this out my mouth to a friend of mine uh, yesterday or this, last night um, talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a psychological, you learn in psychology class in, right. in college. It's a psychological assessment by uh, Abraham Maslow, uh, who talks about that he has a pyramid, shows the hierarchy of human needs. And at the base of the pyramid, it states that you can't be comfortable as a human being until you feel safe in your surroundings, until you have physiological safety. Nothing else matters, not how much money you make, nothing. Until you know that you're safe in your entity, until there's shelter around you, you're not hungry, these things have to happen first. And as African-Americans in America, especially as African-American males in America, we don't have that. You know, a lot of times we don't have that bare minimum feeling of physiological safety because our person is always at risk in this country. You know, at any point in time, uh, an uh, uh, officer of the law, you know, that's even funny to say out loud, that someone who's, who is supposed to be there to protect and to serve, that they have the life-ending ability at their judgment, and we've seen history bear out that there are not a lot of consequences for, for gunning down someone in, in, the, in the street. And when you think about what that says to you as an African-American, your person isn't your person. You are always at the whim of someone else's mentality. Go back to slavery. When the slave master would masculate the male of the family to show his dominance, and then that has perpetuated itself through 450 years where African-American women, in a lot of instances, feel that they don't need African-American men because of how we've been stripped in some instances of our ability to govern our own body, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's a very slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, it, it is slippery. And I, I you know, I, I try to tell my boys, you know, I tell them not to be intimidated. You don't have, you shouldn't be scared of anything, but you got to, you have to always be aware of your, keep your head on a swivel. And, and of course, yep. that's a football term, you know, keep your head on a swivel and, and make sure you're moving around um, at all times. Uh, tell us about the organization, man, and where can we get more information about that? I, I, man, when I saw that, I was I was highly impressed. I appreciate that. So that organization was actually started by a sister. She's a, a therapist in Philadelphia. Her name is Tessneem Suleiman. And what she had seen throughout the course of her personal life and her professional life was the need for African-American males to appreciate, understand, and value their mental health and the mental health system. And she said there's three main stigmas three main hurdles for African-American males when it comes to following up and, and preserving their mental health. One is familiarity with the people who are going to provide the service. Mm-hmm. There are not enough African-American service providers for you to feel comfortable with who your, who your therapist is. The second is cost. You know, most of these providers don't take insurance, and it could be quite expensive for a visit. And the third is the stigma. You know, I, I'm very open. I, you know, you see on my Facebook page, you can see in conversation. I literally was on a phone call with a client earlier and told her, I got to call you back. This is my psychiatrist. Like, I don't hide the fact that I am a staunch advocate for my own mental health. And I'm always pursuing mental clarity and, and, and a support system. If I had high blood pressure, I would not be embarrassed about telling you I got to take high blood pressure medicine or I'm calling my doctor right. or I'm going for a walk. I wouldn't be embarrassed for that. So I'm not embarrassed about my depression and my anxiety. It's mm-hmm. something that I have to deal with. It's, it's part of me. Right. And this organization was set up to alleviate those hurdles by providing eight free sessions for men of color to be paired up with a, a, a therapist and to de- delve into mental health and to 
they want to follow through with it on their own when they have to pay for it, and over 90% do. The organization is called Black Men Heal, and the website is blackmenheal.org. And it's just it's one of the most worthwhile causes that I've ever been a part of. I sit on their board, and that's when we were on um, The Breakfast Club because mental health issues are very, very close to Charlemagne the God's heart. Yeah, yeah, I know Charlemagne talks about that um, a whole lot. Man, hey, listen, this has been a great show. I, you know, that's we do a Black Men Talking series, so that might be something that uh, we do on one of our uh, upcoming podcasts. And actually, Black Men, the Black Men Talking podcast, have been the most uh, downloaded podcast that we've had, and so uh, we we definitely want to get back on that topic because that's that's something that's very um, very important in our society, especially for our health and our, our, our mental uh, well-being. Hey, my brother, I want to appreciate you uh, for coming on to the show. Do you have any social media you want anybody to, and, and the things that you're doing, man? I want people to know what you're doing because this is what I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Tang, and this is what I tell my boys. You might not make it to the NFL. You may not make it to college. You know, you may, or you may make it to college, and, and you may not make it to the NFL. There are other things in the athletic realm of sports that you can do that you can participate in um definitely if, if you want to stay close to the game so tell people what you're into now i know you mentioned something earlier but if you want people to find you on social media talk to the people i appreciate that so you know my my social media is i'm old i'm only on a couple places i'm on instagram and i'm on facebook i can't tiktok with you, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know none of that <laughs> so my instagram is new life by tank I guess that's at New Life by Tank. On Facebook, my page is public. You, you find Charles Tank Harris, and you'll find my page. And, you know, outside of that, man, I just, you know, I'm always available to answer financial questions, so I always take emails at tankmoney at yahoo.com. People can email me and ask me any financial question, and, I, I, and I'll get back to them within 24 to 48 hours with an answer, you know, free of charge, because I want to impart financial wisdom and knowledge and financial literacy amongst our people. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and Tank is one of the, the good guys, man. And, uh, hey, man, next time you in the shot, you got to make sure you holler at me, man. So we got to make sure we connect. I, I feel bad, man. I was there for All-Star Week, NBA All-Star Week, and I didn't holler at you. I was too busy trying to find me some Harold. Well, I could have took, to took you to the Harolds. I could have took you to all the places. You know, it's funny because my wife and I and some friends, we got out for the All-Star Weekend. I said, we didn't really do too much, but we went to the we went to the first game, uh, which was a celebrity uh, basketball game at the um, at one of the, the, the arenas here. And then we partied afterwards um, at a few other spots. And, and, and you know, I... The, the thing Chicago's cold, so you know you gonna come here All Star Weekend. It's just a little chilly, but um, I thought they did an excellent job, man. So next time you come through town, man, I always tell people it's only a few people I deal with when they come to town, and so yeah. you know it's only you know because it's it's just what it is. But you definitely be one of those people. But hey, everybody, we want to thank. Charles Tank Harris for being in on our show, dropping these nuggets today. We want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Smoking Section Podcast. Tank, I'm going to holler at you, my brother. You take it easy now. Yeah, always a privilege, man. I appreciate you, baby. Thanks for having me. No problem. Hey, that's Charles Tank Harris, baby. Listen, this, this has been a great podcast. And, I mean, Tank dropped a lot of knowledge on us. Um, he has a lot of experience, a lot of vast experience working in a lot of different industries. And, and so I wanted to get as much as I could out of him. Um, because he's, he's doing a lot and I, I hope, you know, that, that everybody is pretty much, you know, in tune to what you're doing right now. We're going through a lot of transition in our world right now. There's a lot of different things happening, 
But I want everybody to kind of be in tune with your mental, be in tune with your spiritual self and, and make sure you, you kind of maintain what's going on today. You know, get your physical in, get some workout in. Yeah, I know we can't get to the gym, but man, make sure you try to get some workout. I know I'm trying to get on workout and trying to eat a, a lot more healthier. Um, black men, you know, we got to be really mindful of where we are in our in this society. We got to pay attention, keep our head on the swivel. We can't think we just really out here free. We're free in our mental, but we have to be aware. And unfortunately, we have to play defense. And I, I know it's hard sometimes to get on the offensive and really do the things that we want. But guess what? Defense wins championships. So you have to be on the defense, man. You have to be on your and you have to be on your toes at all times. Um, man, Dak Prescott, your tank brought out some great issues, some, some interesting points about Cowboys and, and that contract and Jerry Jones. And so I thought that was a, a nice, interesting take on it. Um, also, Jameis Winston, you know, that was that was something. But I, I figured Jameis would get the gas face like that. He would get that treatment from the New Orleans um, uh, Saints. But like Tank said, after taxes and all that stuff, man got 300000 Then he got to pay property taxes. So unless he still lives in Florida, you know, where there's no you know, property taxes, he should be okay. Um, but, um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show. Make sure you check us out. Um, this Monday, we have our zoom podcast on the smoking section podcast. So make sure you tune into that as well. We'll be up uh, with the shot town sports nation, uh, crew. We'll be in the building talking the last dance with, uh, the 19, about the 1997, 98 Chicago bulls and Michael Jordan. So it's a pretty good show. We break it down. We give our reaction to it. Uh, tomorrow I will be on the better man than me foundations, uh, zoom podcast, which will be on their Facebook page, which is better man than me foundation so make sure you check that out and um i'll be giving some points and i'll probably even drop it in a uh, smoking section podcast on facebook uh again download and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast we are there but again this is your man jt live you guys have a wonderful and safe weekend peace